And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in the heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and seven horns, and on his heads seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren have, brothers have been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have com- conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives, even unto death. Therefore, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea. For the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. And the woman was given two wings of the great eagle, so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness, to the place where she is to be nourished for a time, and times, and half a time. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with the flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river to make the war make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. So who is the greatest Christmas villain of all time? Was it Bumble, the abominable snowman? How about Scott Farkas from 1983's A Christmas Story? Maybe Harry and Marv from 1990's Home Alone? Burgermeister Meister Burger from 1970's Santa Claus is Coming to Town? Ebenezer Scrooge from Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol, or maybe The Grinch from 1964, Dr. Seuss, The Grinch Who Stole Christmas, or Mr. Potter, 1946, It's a Wonderful Life. Friends, as we've seen and as Jeannie just read for us, we now know who the greatest Christmas villain of all time is. It's the Christmas Dragon. So, in fact, if you look here uh, on our nativity scene, we've added 
for accuracy, a Christmas dragon to our nativity scene. So my family was very excited I was going to be um, preaching this, and so they were trying to help me out. So Hannah suggested I use this for the Christmas dragon. I said, that doesn't look too scary. So, and Samuel, very kindly for Christmas, got me a whole bunch of dragons, but I said, that one's a little too small. But we have here now in our nativity a Christmas dragon. Because when we read this account from Revelation chapter 12, we find that the true villain of Christmas was the Christmas dragon. And I've been really excited to do this, uh, this sermon for a while. I shared a version of these thoughts about a year ago when we, I was regularly doing the morning live stream. And I've wanted to kind of flesh them out and share them with a larger audience. Because I want to talk about the unseen villain of Christmas that we meet in Revelation chapter 12. And that, that dragon may have been unseen in the Christmas story that we're so used to reading. But friends, make no mistake, he's real. And he was there. Now, some have said that this chapter that Jeannie just read for us, Revelation 12, is one of the most symbolic chapters in one of the most symbolic books in all of the New Testament. So it might be hard to understand, but we're going to dive into it today. Because it is symbolic, but the other thing that you immediately notice, and I hope you heard it as Jeannie read for us, is that it's epic. There's some kind of an epic battle that's going on in this chapter. And what does it all center around but the birth of a child? And not just any child, but as Jeannie read for us, it says, a child who would rule the nations. So what is absolutely clear to us is that Revelation chapter 12, for whatever all the details mean, it centers on the nativity. It centers on the Christmas story. It centers on the birth of Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 12, for all of its weirdness, is a Christmas story. This is a Christmas story. Now, there are many different ways to interpret all the details and the specifics of Revelation 12, just as there are many ways to interpret all of Revelation itself. And I'm not here this morning to debate all the details. And if you come here today or if you're watching online and you have a very well-detailed, established timeline of the end times, you're probably going to be really disappointed with me and my interpretation. You know, what I believe that the Lord is doing for us in the book of Revelation, in Revelation, God is pulling back the curtain on history to let us see what's going on behind the curtain, to let us see the inner workings. You know, some of you remember the movie The Wizard of Oz? In The Wizard of Oz, you might remember this scene. Oh my gosh, that's weird. Yeah, you can, you can, skip, you can skip through this. Look, I'm the wizard. Well, actually, it makes a good point. Some of you remember... No, no, you can take it down, Sarah. No, thanks. Some of you remember in that scene that was kind of blacked out there in The Wizard of Oz, what happens is that Toto goes and he pulls aside a curtain and exposes that the giant floating head that is the Wizard of Oz, that everybody thinks that that floating head is the actual wizard, he pulls aside the curtain and there's a man standing there. And the man, when he's exposed, he says... Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. And I think that the message of Revelation is the opposite of that. I think it pulls aside the curtain and goes, pay attention to what's going on behind the curtain. I think Revelation goes, it's to reveal 
what's going on behind the curtain. Because the message of Revelation is that there are a lot of massive floating heads, powerful figures claiming to be wizards, rulers, authorities, and powers in this world. But when the curtain is pulled back, we find that a lot of them are nothing more than sad, shriveled, powerless old men. And we find that there is a true power behind the curtain that is orchestrating all things to its appointed end. In this book of Revelation, the curtain is pulled aside and we meet the true wizard. He's revealed and he's the king of all kings and the lord of all lords. And he's the one who's truly pulling the strings of history. So I believe that this final book of Revelation is far more a revelation than a roadmap for the future. Now, don't get me wrong. John, the Lord through John, revealed things that are yet to come. But I think that far more the purpose of Revelation was to pull behind the curtain so that we could understand things that have been, things that currently are, and things that will be, and so that we can see behind the curtain and understand the working of history. And in Revelation 12, I believe the curtain is yanked back on the nativity story. And we find that that night, that silent night, holy night, was not so silent when you look behind the curtains. Now, to understand this chapter of Revelation, is really to understand all of Revelation, we need to understand, first of all, political cartoons. You know, today, here in America, in this century, if you see a cartoon in the newspaper with an elephant arguing with a donkey, you don't think that there's a disturbance in the animal kingdom. You immediately assume there's a disturbance in the political kingdom. Because in our culture and in this time, we understand the symbolism that the elephant represents the Republicans, the donkey represents the Democrats. And in the same way, if you opened your morning paper and you saw a cartoon with an, American, with, with an eagle who was talking to a bulldog, you might assume that was an American eagle talking to a British bulldog and the Americans were somehow collaborating with the British. Now, for people from another country or who lived in another time, if they saw those cartoons with the elephant and the donkey or the eagle and the bulldog, their meaning might be totally lost. They might, be completely, they might completely misunderstand what's happening there and think that there were actual bulldogs and eagles and elephants and donkeys. But to those who knew, they would understand the imagery that was being portrayed here. Because in the same way, when we look at the book of Revelation, I feel like it's full of political cartoons and caricatures. And so the first job of the reader when you approach the book of Revelation and this specific chapter that Jeannie read for us, is we need to understand uh, the imagery. What are the symbols representing to us? And the good news is that the chapter that Jeannie read for us today, Revelation 12, largely all the symbols are actually explained to us right in the chapter. So let's look. There are three major players in the account of Revelation 12. There's the woman, the dragon, and the sun. S-O-N, not S-U-N. The woman, the dragon, and the sun. So let's start by asking, who's the woman? You know, in this account, we find a woman who gives birth, then she's whisked away, she's kept safe in the wilderness, she's protected from the wrath of a dragon. And some have said, well, obviously, it's a nativity story, this must represent Mary. 
because Mary gave birth to Jesus. Then she fled into the wilderness of Egypt so that her child might escape being eaten by that dragon, Herod. And while Mary's story is unquestionably an echo of this story, Mary alone is not the only one in view here. Look again at verse 1. Verse 1 says, And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. Sun, moon, and twelve stars. The original hearers would go, I've heard that one before. I've heard that one before. Because you might remember back in the book of Genesis, there was a man named Joseph. A young man who had 11 brothers, and he had dreams and visions that caused him some trouble. And in Genesis 37, verses 9 through 10, it says, Then Joseph dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I've dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and 11 stars were bowing down to me. And when he told it to his father and his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you've dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? So the sun, moon, and stars in Joseph's dream refer to the family of Jacob. And Jacob and his twelve sons, his twelve sons became the twelve tribes of Israel. So the woman here symbolically represents more than Mary. She represents Israel. Jesus was birthed from the family of Israel, the line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, included as part of Israel was Mary, who was the actual human mother who gave birth to the child, to Jesus himself. But it's not exclusively Mary. Not exclusively her, but it certainly includes her. And also included in this picture of the woman would not just be Mary, but another significant woman. The woman Eve, the mother of all the living. Because when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, sin entered the world. And in Genesis chapter 3, the Lord proclaimed the curses and the consequences of human sin. But at the same time, he promised a hope of redemption. A hope that would one day spring from the offspring, from the child of Eve, from the line of the woman. And the Lord said to the serpent in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So the Lord said to the serpent who had deceived Adam and Eve in the garden that one day an offspring was going to come. A child was going to come from this woman. The child would be born and she would crush the head. Of the serpent. Well, you know, this year we received a Christmas card from Peter and Debbie Ganella, and on that card was this image, which is a beautiful image, and it's an image of Mary pregnant with Jesus consoling Eve. And if you look at the image, you notice there's a serpent that's wrapped around Eve's feet and her legs. But if you look at Mary's foot, it's standing on the head of that serpent. Mary comforting Eve, saying the promised redemption that was promised to you in Genesis 3.15 has come. The child that I bear is the child who will crush the head of the serpent. So the woman in Revelation chapter 20 
She is all Israel. She's the people of God. Included is the woman Eve, the mother of humanity. Included is Mary, the mother of the promised offspring, the child. So that's the woman, but who's the dragon? Well, verse 9 identifies him for us. Verse 9 says, The great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent, who's called the devil and Satan, deceiver of the whole world. The serpent who was in the garden is the dragon who threatened the child, is the devil, Satan, the accuser, the deceiver of the whole world. And to be honest, as much fun as my little dragon is over here, he's not accurate. I don't know if you noticed that, but verse 3 describes the dragon. It says he has seven heads, ten horns on his head, and seven crowns on those heads. Seven heads. I couldn't find a dragon with seven heads. It was surprisingly hard to do. But the dragon had seven heads with ten horns and seven crowns. And what does that mean? Now, in apocalyptic literature like Revelation or the book of Daniel, multiple heads mean multiple manifestations of a single kingdom. Horns always symbolize power and strength. And crowns symbolize authority. And seven and ten are both numbers of wholeness and completeness. So this dragon, he manifests himself in opposition in many ways, many times, through many means, and many kingdoms. Friends, this is a great and a powerful enemy who has come to make war on the woman, on the people of God, to destroy the child, the promised offspring who was to be born. And this enemy has manifested himself in many channels through many institutions and throughout the life of this child and continues to do so. Throughout the life of the child who was born, we see the enemy manifest himself through King Herod who tried to slaughter the infant Christ demonic forces who opposed Christ during his ministry, religious leaders who accused Christ, Judas who betrayed Christ, Pilate who condemned Christ. The enemy has many heads, and all the heads are striking at the child to destroy him. With great power and great authority, the dragon opposes the child. And who is this child? Who is the child that was born that the dragon wishes to destroy as soon as he's born? Well, verse 5 tells us, She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. Foretold many years before in Psalm chapter 2, it was said that one would come, and this is how he's described, I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, You are my son, today I've begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. The psalm many years before promised an anointed one, a king, a messiah, an offspring promised by God who would rule all the nations with a rod of iron. And the New Testament authors applied Psalm 2 to Jesus. Jesus is the one who was born. He's the promised offspring of Israel. He was foretold the offspring of Mary who would crush the serpent's head. And of course, the dragon of old is going to oppose his coming and try to stop his work. But the child who was born is Christ. And so what we have here in verses 1 through 6, the beginning of this, is the curtain is pulled back. The truth's revealed. And friends, what we see is a behind-the-scenes look at Christmas. There's an epic battle that began with Christ's incarnation and His birth. And it continued throughout His ministry. And it continues today with His people. 
Revelation 12 is a Christmas story. And we look behind the curtain and see that there was a lot more going on. But, friends, it's so much more than just a Christmas story. Revelation 12 also tells us of the ongoing battle with the dragon, the serpent of old. You see, in verse 5, you might notice that it kind of skips over Christ's life. He's born, but then all of a sudden in verse 5 it says, but her child was caught up to God in his throne. It kind of jumps over his life here and goes right to his ascension. The child who was born, he lived, he died, he rose again, and he ascended to the right hand of God the Father. But what of the woman, the people of God? Verse 6 says, the child's mother fled in the wilderness where she was protected from the dragon provided for by God. Now, there's, there's some imagery here. Now, we just finished studying the book of Exodus. And you might remember that after Exodus, where did Israel end up? In the wilderness. Now, what happened in the wilderness? They were safe from Pharaoh in the wilderness, weren't they? They were provided for by God while they were in the wilderness. But they longed for the promised land to which they were to be delivered. And in the same way, what do we find? The people of God are protected in the wilderness from the rage of the dragon, like Israel was protected from the rage of Pharaoh. They are provided for, it says, in the wilderness, like Israel was provided for when they were in the wilderness. But we too, like Israel, are longing to be brought into the promised land. We're longing to be delivered, ultimately and finally and perfectly and completely. Now, this same period of pursuit, rescue, and protection that we see here in verse uh, 5 and 6 is repeated in verses 13 and 14. The exact same thing happens. We actually hear the dragon pursues, the woman's rescued to the wilderness, and she's taken care of. Verse 6 says the period of time is 1,260 days. Verse 14 says the time is referenced as time and times and half a time. So, it's the same amount of time. Is the long and the short of it. It's referring to the same period of time. Now, some people, those that have really good timelines and I think have a lot more maybe insight than me, I don't know, is three and a half. I don't understand it either. Because I believe that what we have here is a symbolic period of time that actually represents the time between Jesus' coming. The time between His advent. We celebrate He came when He was born. He lived, He died, He rose again. But we also believe one day He's going to return. He came once, He'll come a second time. And I believe that this time that's being described is the time between His comings. The time between His first coming, when, he, with the, bat, when the dragon tried to kill Him, and when He was victorious, and the time when He returns to bring a final end to the dragon. And a final end to evil. And to make all things new. To deliver us into the promised land. So what I'm saying is I believe that the time that's described here is time that we're living. We're living now. And what we have in Revelation 12 is the curtain is pulled back. And what do we see? There's a spiritual battle that's going on. That started with His incarnation and continues now with His people. Today the, dra- the dragon Satan pursues and persecutes the people of God. But God protects and provides for His people. Now, that doesn't mean that evil is not going to befall the Lord's people. We know that. We've experienced that. We will be pursued. We will be persecuted. We will suffer. And we will even die. But as we're going to see, we will be victorious because of Jesus Christ. 
And that leads us to verses 7, 7 through 17. Some people think there are actually two separate visions here about two separate and different periods of time. And that 7 through 17 pictures some kind of future great tribulation. I believe verses 7 through 17 are the same series of events as 1 through 6. Because Revelation does something really weird if you, if you read it. Not weird, but it's what it does. It repeats itself a lot. And in fact, I believe Revelation repeats itself. And it's kind of like a spiral. And if you're going around the spiral and you come closer and closer to the center, and I think Revelation is like that. We start out here, and so we kind of see things from a distance because we're moving towards the center. But it spirals us closer and closer. So we see the same visions. And also in a spiral, if you're moving around, you see things from different angles. And you get closer, and you get closer, and you see it from different angles. And I think that's what the book of Revelation is. I think we find a series of visions throughout Revelation that get us closer and closer and closer and reveal more and more detail and reveal it from all different angles. And so we get multiple pictures, and I believe that's what we have in Revelation 12. 1 through 6 gives us the story. 7 through 17 gives us the story again. A little bit closer, another angle, a little bit more detail. And what's this revelation that we find? We find a revelation of hope to a church under persecution. We find this is a revelation of hope to a church under persecution. Friends, the revelation that John received when he was on the island of Patmos that we have recorded for us in this book, was written at a time that the church was under great persecution. People were suffering terribly and being killed for their faith. They were being tortured and persecuted and martyred for Christ. And we find a vision here of, in 7 through 17 of spiritual warfare, but yet of ultimate victory of and in Christ. And that would have been a huge encouragement to a church that was suffering. I mean, look at verses 7 through 9. There's a great war in heaven. The curtain's drawn back on history. We see with the birth of the child who would rule, a great battle's engaged. The birth of Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection signal an invasion of the Lord's forces. Michael, the archangel, and the angels battling with the dragon and his minions. There was a huge spiritual battle with Jesus' ministry. He was pushing in, and they were pushing back. His incarnation meant that He had come to set us free. And so He was invading enemy-controlled territory. And the enemy did not take kindly to it. And a great battle was fought in His birth and in His life and in His death. But friends, He was victorious. He was victorious. Hear the victory cry in verses 10-11. through 11. I heard a loud voice in saying, Now! The salvation and power of the kingdom of our God and the authority of Christ has come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. For they loved not their lives even unto death. See, the passage refers us to the victory that Christ won on the cross. Why? Because he shed his blood. He is the blood, his, it was his blood, the blood of the lamb, by which the devil, the dragon, that ancient servant, serpent, was conquered. The dragon's defeat and expulsion from heaven shows that Satan can no longer press charges. He can no longer accuse against us because the lamb has shed his blood for us. And that is our testimony. That is our hope unto death. 
Friends, every accusation that the accuser was once able to bring against God's people, every accusation that the accuser was once able to bring against you has been finally and completely and definitively answered by the blood of Jesus Christ. Church, the gospel, the good news is the devil can no longer accuse you before God because he is cast down. So today he's like a roaring toothless lion who just torments the followers of Christ, accusing our own consciences, tormenting us with a record and reminder of our sins. But friends, those who have overcome, verse 11 tells us, those who overcome the believers then and the believers now are those who defeat his accusations by testifying to his, the blood of the Lamb and the words of the testimony. Friends, we can stand when the devil says, you are guilty, we can say, yes, I am guilty. And I have failed. My sins are repugnant and they separate me from the God I love. But my hope is not in my righteousness. My hope is in the blood of the Lamb. My hope is in the child who was born. My hope is in the Lamb who was slain. Christ who rose victoriously. Your accusations, O devil, have no teeth. You're all bark and you're no bite. Because serpent, you've been crushed. The dragon slayer has come and he pleads my defense. His blood declares that I am not guilty. So your accusations fall on deaf ears. As Rend Collective sings in their song, Nailed to the Cross, when I stand accused by my regrets and the devil roars his empty threats, I preach the gospel to myself. I'm not a man condemned because Jesus Christ is my defense. Church, this is the gospel. The gospel is, according to Romans 8, 1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. Church, there is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. The people of God conquer the dragon and his accusations by the blood of the Lamb and the word of the testimony. Understand that we may be killed, but we will never be conquered. Church, we may be accused, but we will never be condemned. We may be struck down, but we will never be destroyed. We may be hard-pressed, but we will never be crushed. We may be canceled, but we will never be conquered. We may be killed, our lives taken, but we will be victorious because of the blood of the Lamb and the word of the testimony about Jesus Christ and His victory. This is what we celebrated today in song. The body they may kill, but God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Church, we may be canceled, accused, persecuted, or killed, but the blood of the Lamb and the victory of Jesus Christ are never conquered. We are provided for and protected as we wander in this wilderness until Christ returns and He brings us in to the promised land. And Revelation 12, 12 tells us the devil, that ancient serpent, the great dragon, he knows his time is short because he knows he's been defeated. And according to verse 10, Jesus' death and resurrection inaugurated the kingdom of our God. The kingdom of our God. In other words, friends, the rightful king came to town and he overthrew the illicit tyrant who was ruling over us. All the demonic activity in the Gospels All the activity today is connected to Satan's frustrated anger because he knows he's beaten and his time is short. And he may have lost, but you better believe he's going to take as many people down with him as he can. 
He knows he has lost the war, but he's going to do as much damage as possible before his final demise. And as such, the Apostle Peter warns in 1 Peter chapter 5, Be sober-minded, be watchful, your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Friends, he is powerless to spiritually devour the people of God. And we're reminded again in verses 13 and 14, the Lord protects his people. But friends, his protection and provision doesn't stop the dragon from trying to harm and destroy the people of God. Verse 15, we see the ancient serpent. It says that he tries to sweep away the people of God, what? With a river, with like water coming from his mouth. Well, those were the lies, the accusations, the false teachings pouring forth from his mouth like a river. Because, friends, that's the only weapon he's got left. The only weapon and power that the devil has left are lies, accusations, and false teaching. He is a liar, an accuser, and a false teacher. And you know what he wants to do, church? He wants to derail, discourage, diffuse, and distract you because he knows he can't defeat you. Hear that again, that ancient serpent, the devil, the accuser, he wants to derail, discourage, diffuse, and distract because he knows he cannot defeat. He cannot defeat the church because of Jesus Christ, because he himself is defeated. So what's he going to do? He's going to accuse. He's going to lie. He's going to make fearful, but he can't stop us. He's going to try to stop us with empty threats, with discouraging accusations, with fearful lives, with distracting pursuits. But church, cling to and plead the blood of the Lamb and the word of the testimony about Jesus Christ and who He is and what He's done. Do not be taken in by His lies because we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. And verse 17 reiterates that having failed to destroy the Messiah and His mother, the frustrated dragon, what's he do? It says he makes war on the rest of her offspring. Friends, God's people throughout the ages, he's making war. The church will be persecuted. We will suffer. We may even die. We will face lies, accusations, and false teachings. The powers arrayed against the church are many, and they appear great like a multi-headed dragon. So many manifestations, authority, power, fearful. But friends, the curtain's been pulled back. We've seen behind human history, we've seen the wizard. We've observed the one who actually pulls the strings. We've witnessed the one who has won and who will win. And no matter how it appears and no matter how fearful the dragon appears on the surface, when we see behind the curtain, his doom is sure. And he's defeated. Revelation 12 and the story of the Christmas dragon reveals to us the great spiritual battle that was initiated with the first coming of Christ. And while that war was definitively won at the cross, his battle continued to rage until the final return of Christ. Church, Christmas is anything but meek and mild. Christmas is epic. Because an epic battle began. Christ was born to defeat the dragon, to crush the head of that ancient serpent. That's why he came. John, Jesus' disciple, writes in 1 John 3, 8, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. 
The author of Hebrews explains in Hebrews 2.14, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. The battle commenced with the incarnation of Christmas, and the victory was decisively won at the cross of Jesus Christ, whereas Paul writes in Colossians 2.15, God disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Christ. Church revelation would have given the persecuted church then and should give us today great confidence. For we see that Jesus is victorious. He is greater than my sin. He is greater than my shame. He is greater than any principality, power, or ruler of this dark age. Christ is greater. So that we may be killed, but we will never be conquered. And so the Apostle Paul counsels us in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 11 and 12. Put on the whole armor of God so that you'll be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Friends, the spiritual warfare is real. Our enemy is real and angry, but his head is crushed. We dare not make too much of him and his power, but we also dare not make too little of him and his power. Rather, as the people of God, we always have and we always should stand firm with the blood of the Lamb and in the word of the testimony about Jesus Christ and what He's done. For as we sang this morning, in a mighty fortress is our God. For still our ancient foe, He doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great, and He's armed with cruel hate. On earth is not His equal. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, church, for God has willed His truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, His doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. Friends, this is the gospel. Jesus Christ has crushed the head of the serpent. And I know this is not your usual Christmas sermon. But this is an important truth. The message that was given to the church then and given to us now is a message of hope. Until Christ returns, riding on the clouds, shining like the sun at the trumpet call, we trust in His strength and His provision. We cling to the blood of the Lamb and the word of His testimony. The child was born. The victory was won. Christ has crushed the head, and we too will conquer by His blood and testimony of what He's done. So church, whatever we face, whatever you face, today, tomorrow, this coming year, we are more than conquerors through the child who is born to crush the head of the Christmas dragon. Let's pray. Father, thank You. Thank You that we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. Thank You that You have come. That You are victorious. And thank You that one day You will return. Oh, Father, we long for that day. 
That day when Christ returns, when He makes all things new, when He sets us completely and totally free from the power of the dragon, when He is destroyed, that serpent of old, Father, speed that day. And until that day, make us strong. May we stand firm, standing firm in the blood of the Lamb and the testimony of Jesus Christ, who came, who died, who rose again, and who one day will return. The one who has crushed the head of the serpent. The one who gives us strength so that we are more than conquerors. The one who assures us that though we may be killed, we will never be conquered. Oh, Father, may your church stand bold and strong. In Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. In closing-